0: Hey, welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues Podcast. This week on our panel, we have John Epperson. Hello, everybody. We also have Dave Kamura. Hey, everyone. And uh, I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And uh, this week, we're going to talk a little bit about... Actually, Dave, you you brought this up. Do you want to just kind of give us an intro here?
1: Yeah, sure. So in recent news, you may have heard that Heroku has stopped offering their free tier for hosting. And I think that affects a lot of people in a lot of different ways. From the junior developer or just someone who is really trying to get their resume together and they want to have live sites so that a potential employer can go and look at their resume and see their application that they've built to see if it's potentially applicable to that job. But then you also have just the small time hobby projects where someone maybe isn't generating any revenue for a project, but they want to have access to this application most of the time. And so with the free tier going away, you have a lot of these potential user cases that are now left without a solution. Or are they left without a solution? So what are some of the alternatives out there that give a Heroku platform as a service feel?
0: and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Yeah, um, it's it's interesting because I initially looked at some of this and um, I think I saw some people in the JavaScript community kind of pushing people to go to like Netlify or Vercel or something like that. But those don't really like if you're running like a dynamic backend like Sinatra or Rails or something like that. That they really aren't options, right? If if you're running like a Jekyll site, then yeah, you can do that or GitHub Pages or something. For for the rest of it, I think there are some interesting options, and and I haven't tried them all. I don't know what all the options are. Um, but yeah, I figure we can just jump in and and talk and and see what's out there. I'm curious what options you all have have used and played with. I I know of a couple, but yeah.
1: So I have tried out Render, which is a recent product that Mm -hmm. basically gives you a lot of that look and feel of Heroku without some of the features, which I'm sure they'll come down the road, like the plugins, being able to just quickly add in a feature or some kind of service that you need. So they seem to be pretty good. I've tried around with Digital Ocean app platform. I was actually going to partner with them and do an episode uh, a training on deploying a modern Ruby on Rails 7 application to app platform. But I did run into a lot of issues where you were using ES build instead of Webpacker. And because of that, their build packs weren't set up correctly to handle those. And I've been checking their documentation periodically and haven't seen any updates that it's now fixed. So I have to give them another shot. But as of right now, I wouldn't recommend DigitalOcean for current projects. But they're also a paid solution. You're not going to get a free tier with them,
0: really. Yeah, I think their free tier is for like static sites and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's it's fairly limited. I was using their app platform setup for top-end devs when I first kicked it off. And it was, they sponsored, you know, the, the shows and, um, you know, and, and wanted to, and it looked great. So I tried it and I ran it for a while. And then after a while, um, Top End Devs just started dropping out randomly. And I couldn't figure out why. So I moved it over to a VPS. Um, and I haven't had any problems with it since. But yeah, you know, you can get a VPS on DigitalOcean for a few dollars a month. So I know that's not free, but um, that will work for you. I'm not sure. We should, we should actually come back to cheap stuff later as well. Yeah, we should. Um, what What is the deal with Render? Do you know as far as like what it will and won't do? I don't know
1: about the limitations of its capabilities, but I have deployed sample applications. I actually recorded a Drift to Ruby episode. I think it's under the Pro plans, so mm-hmm. it's not a free one. But it was a pretty good experience, honestly. I didn't have any issues with it, and it seemed to be a good solution. Another uh, one that I haven't tried out yet that seems to be a new up-and-comer, just like Render, is Fly.io. I think that's the Uh name of it.
0: Yep. I know some people at Fly.io, but uh, again, I haven't really looked. I'm looking at their free tier, and it looks like it's got It'll get spun down after 15 minutes of inactivity. You're limited to 750 hours of free running time per month. And that's across all free web services in the account. And then, yeah, there's some other things here. You know, they, they can restart at any time. You can't scale beyond a single instance. Yeah, it, it's it's fine if you have kind of a portfolio app that you, you're not expecting you know heavy usage on. Yeah. Uh, no persistent disks, no web shell access. Uh, reserved ports, 400 free build hours per month, shared with static sites. So yeah, I mean, if you're just looking for something, you know, to just park somewhere and they have free PostgreSQL. Uh, and that's
1: on render, correct?
0: That's on render. Yeah. So, so it looks like, yeah, if you're just trying to put something out there so somebody can come and see what you put together and what the functionality is and they can play with it and you're not trying to monetize it or, you know, see any kind of heavy usage. Yeah, it looks like this is an option that you can use. But yeah, it looks like all of the limits are account wide. So if you have a wide range of portfolio apps, then I could see that you might suck up that 750 hours. But I would imagine you'd have to have a bunch of them or have something that people are hitting fairly frequently.
1: Which I would think that they would not get hit too frequently if yeah. it is a resume application. Just a word of caution about Y.io. I am looking at their pricing docs. And it looks like you can do a shared, uh, a free tier. But it only has 256 megabytes of the memory space. And if you're trying to deploy a Rails application, especially doing um some kind of bundle or... Uh, anything that's computational heavy during the provisioning, then you could eat through that really fast and you could find that your application won't deploy. So I do like yeah. that Render does start out their free tier at 512 megabytes of RAM. So just a word of caution that that could be an issue.
0: I've had 512 megabytes be an issue too, but it depends on how heavily you're using your, uh, your setup, right? I mean, I had a crap ton of stuff that Webpacker was mm-hmm. fussing with. You know, and if it's if it's a smallish app, I would imagine that's not as much of a problem. I mean, uh, a lot of people who are deploying like Webpacker apps and things like that to Heroku will run into problems or have run into problems in the past or whatever. And some of those people mm-hmm. end up just, you know, uh, <laughs> manually compiling their assets and pushing it up. There's workarounds for that.
2: But yeah, yeah, if you have
0: 256 is pretty low, that'll get hit with gems sometimes. Yeah.
1: No, um, a fun alternative, if you but, are into self-hosting. And you don't have to have a server or expensive machine or anything like that. You could do this with a 5 to $10 VPS, or you could do it with a old machine that you have lying around. It just install Ubuntu Linux on there, run Docker, or a single node Docker Swarm and Portainer on top of that. And I found doing that, especially with their latest version, they have webhooks that will allow for auto-deployment triggers, and so that's actually something that I've set up and I set up Rails templates that whenever I create a new Rails application, it's going to have all this, uh, Docker, Docker compose files for my local development environment, but then also for a production environment. And all I have to do is then to deploy this to just copy and paste this Docker compose YAML file over into my instance of Portainer and it'll automatically provision the database Redis any psychic workers, the Rails application, and get it up and running from two minutes from the time you create that actual project. So if you're looking for a rather turnkey solution with maybe a little bit of one-time setup for deploying multiple applications, that's been a really good experience, in my opinion.
0: Interesting. Um, I'm also, Dave, you host some stuff like home, right? Don't you have some servers at home that you run? So isn't that an option as well? If you have you know, an extra machine sitting around, you could just kind of route web traffic through your router to some machine at home if you really wanted to.
1: Yeah, and that is what I do for a lot of the applications. So I'll have some applications that I've created just for personal use, but I still want to be able to access it outside of my home. And so with that I am using the Portainer and Docker Swarm setup. And Mm -hmm. with that, it's been so nice because I will want to tinker around with something sometimes. And just being able to get that up and running real fast to a fully qualified domain name has been really nice. And without having to worry about something like Roku or anything like that. Yeah, and a lot of your
0: ISPs, they don't rotate your... IP address all that often, and so you should be okay to point stuff there.
1: Yeah, I've had AT and T internet, their fiber for over five years now, and I still have the exact same IP address. And I'm not paying for a static; it is a sticky dynamic, so it doesn't change often, but it's not guaranteed to be the same.
0: Right. Uh, I'm on Comcast, and it's basically the same. I I would uh I would definitely like gosh and like people that are just getting into things or something. I, I mean, I always like look at that as sort of being like in the low end of like the medium skill level thing. Not because mm-hmm. it's like super hard to get something set up at home, but because there's like hiccups and hangups that you just have to like think about. Like, for example, your IP address changing, noticing it and fixing it. Um, you know, just like there's a few things involved. It's not too bad and it's totally learnable. But if you're like... Uh, it's not something that i typically recommend to juniors because they already have like a lot of things to learn and this just adds to the pile of things to learn but if you're like already established and you're like yeah i just want to put something up i think it's like great because it's not too big for you to like take on and learn if you've never done before um yeah if you got a spare box and stuff there is another um thing out there that is sort of like the free tier um uh, what do you call it handrails all the way kind of thing. But uh I, I mean I, I definitely am kind of like hoping that like so I had somebody that I uh work with that used render recently and they had an okay experience so I'm kind of hoping that render like takes off, you know, for example. Um and i I thought the digital ocean stuff was gonna be good, but it sounds like maybe not so much. Uh, but if, you know, if those uh handrail things are feeling kind of sparse um another thing that you can try um is the aws elastic beanstalk but like there's some cautionary things on here too which primarily goes with like beanstalk is is pretty it kind of sucks to get started like you you're gonna have to like work with their system and things like that um i shouldn't say sucks it sucks compared to heroku but, uh, if you get past that, they do have free tier kind of stuff. Um, it does do a lot of like the hand holding stuff that Heroku did or whatever. So depending how sparse things get, that might be a thing. Um, but it's definitely not my first recommendation for people. There's just too many yeah. gotchas with it that I've run into over the years and working with other people that have worked with it. Um, I just recently helped somebody move off of Beanstalk and that was hard enough. So
1: I will say that Beanstalk does require a certain level of understanding the networking side of things in order to get it up and running properly. But AWS does have another application or service called App Runner, which does give you more of that Heroku feel. It's more like their ECS, the Elastic Container Service, but it's been more simplified where you are using uh, uh, not a shared instance, but a container instance. And you don't actually get a EC2 instance or a virtual machine created when you launch an application on App Runner. It's running on their own services instead of something that's provisioned under your account. So you do have that as an option as well. And I think that they may have some pricing tiers that fall under their first year free service kind of thing. So that may be worth checking out too. I haven't looked at it in some time now, but I did record an episode on AppRunner specifically um, like a year or so ago.
0: Yeah, so with AppRunner, right, you have to like make your container sort of fit their, their model, right? That was something that uh, I had some trouble when I was working with somebody on. And the issue was that, you know, they had followed some tutorial out there on, you know, getting their Docker container up and running and it didn't match Amazon's expectations. So anyway, just take up some things that you're going to have to care about there.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I experienced that. I did uh, when I was playing around with it. I did set up my own registry on AWS and I was able to push up my built images there. And then that seemed to work. I think if you're trying to use a different registry or something, then that could add definitely some level of hiccups. But overall it it seemed to be pretty uh pretty well done. You know, I'm just awesome. looking back at my original notes on App Runner and nothing in the Docker file seems to be out of place, or you know, specific to the app runner. Yeah. You know?
0: uh, so huh? you only had like a single Docker file or whatever going on. Yeah. So I think in this instance, this was an issue where, like, yeah. So somebody was trying to get their Docker Compose stuff like married to. Gotcha. Uh, app runner, but okay. Yeah. Fair enough. That would that
1: would be a bit more
0: complicated for sure. Yeah. A few other things I want to throw out. So I have played with kind of the big cloud services like Azure or. Uh, uh, what is it, Google, Google Cloud Platforms. And a lot of them either offer a f- kind of a free tier for that or they'll offer like a certain amount of compute. You know, they'll give you credit when you sign up or something like that if you apply. If your server on their setup is, uh, I don't know, a couple dollars a month and they give you $100 credit. I remember Azure in particular, you could get $100 credit to start out with and they may actually have a free tier for, you know, some of your stuff. So that may be an option too. Now, they do a lot of stuff kind of like AWS and so you may run into some of the same kinds of wow, there's a lot here that I don't get. But if you're looking for a place to stick stuff that might be an option too.
1: I'll kind of revert back to the Doctor Swarm deal. Yeah. I found that provisioning a Doctor Swarm instance, even a single node and then getting Portainer up and running on there is so much more simple than dealing with any kind of service that AWS has offered. You know, you can get by with a four dollar, six dollar, uh, or probably a six dollar one gigabyte RAM Digital Ocean VM that you can get that up and running really quick. So, you know, I think if we're going for a Heroku ish ease of deployment not so much the provisioning side of things, then that's going to be like by far the easiest way to spin up multiple applications really quickly or using something um, that has it all.
0: I feel like if we hit up most of the handholding things, it might be like really good to like bite off some of this, right? Because um, I think in this, there's this space, right? where Where basically like you're talking about, right? So I can get a VM up and going and then I need to put my app on it and it Isn't now that I've done this like a million times, it actually really isn't that hard. And I would agree with you, but for the person who really doesn't know how to bite that off, right? Like they're just coming into this because they're a junior or something like that. That's a huge hurdle for them. And I definitely feel like, um, tooling and things like that, like maybe we should talk about some of that to help them like figure that stuff out, right? Because a lot of people really struggle with that first step and. Uh, if you're doing Rails stuff, right? There's there's a bunch of there's a lot of tools that you can use, and a lot of tutorials out there will like push you down the road um, towards them. There's also some things that do a little bit more. So I don't know if you guys want to talk about that. I have some that I can talk about too.
1: Yeah, and yeah, you know, the funny kind of thing about this is even if you are using Render, I think for the most part you still have to have some level of knowledge. Either about their specific, uh, platform and the way to do things, or you have to, um, know Docker. And Uh apparently, you know, Docker is not as well versed to everybody. You know, a lot of people develop just on their host machine. And so, um, you know, I, I definitely sympathize with that because I remember when I first started out with Docker, I was like, yeah, I don't like this. I'm just going to develop on my host machine. And it wasn't until like a few years later that I have to start working on older applications as well as new applications and start running into version conflicts of either the Ruby or other services that I look at Docker again and be like, oh, okay, yeah, this is the right solution. I need to actually just spend the time and learn it. So uh, I'm not actually familiar with much tooling out there. To easily deploy without having to know a bit of knowledge about the specific environment or technology like Docker.
0: Yeah. So if you go without Docker, you can still do the old like Capistrano and and Mina or whatever. And I think there's something else as well that's like newer that kind of operates in that space, which is just a script deployment kind of thing. But you're going to have to. Capistrano forever. Yeah, if you do those things though, you do have to install your box with all the things that mm-hmm. you need, right? Like that's that's one of the things that you're hoping to like skip over when you use something like Heroku. So if you, you know, but if if free is very important to you and you know, free or cheap, I should say, because I guess you're gonna have to host this box somewhere. Then you know that's those are options. You can go like full Docker ecosystem, right? And you know. Set up home or something like that, right? Um, and make sure that you have, uh, Kubernetes installed. But then you're definitely talking about like a couple boxes. You, technically, you can do Kubernetes on one box, but most people don't do that. Uh, and there's not a lot of good tutorials on that. Uh, well, and a lot you of can these, do ShipLane and Kubi. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot ahead, of the, a lot of the platforms out there like DigitalOcean or Google uh, Cloud Platform or, Azure, what have you, they offer uh, Kubernetes for you. So you don't have to, you have to configure it and run it, but you don't have to, you know, do the install and all of that garbage. Yeah, these things do overlap, right? Like you can use um, some sort of Kubernetes or container service, right, to host your Docker container that you made. You can, I mean, this is also where Shiplane operates, it's also where Kubi operates too, right? Uh, Kubi, mm-hmm. though, is assuming that you have a Kubernetes, you know, like service out there or whatever. But like, right. these are all options too. Uh, they require a little bit more effort and knowledge to get into than the old Heroku slash, I guess now we're going to send everybody to render. But yeah, I'm just assuming <laughs> that. <laughs> I got Ruby Weekly this morning, and uh, I was like, "Oh, this is interesting. I'll read this article later." And then Dave like posts, "Hey, Kubernetes is gone, everybody, you know." And not exactly Heroku. But, uh, Heroku's <laughs> gone. That's yes, Kubernetes is gone. Everyone, you heard it here first. No Heroku. <laughs> um, yes, my bad. So I, yeah, I, I honestly, it's kind of new news for me. So, well, one other thing that I think is interesting about this, you know, to kind of change gears a little is that Heroku, kind? I mean, that was kind of how they got big, was that it was easy and you could mm-hmm. get started playing with it for free. And, uh, I mean, I don't know. Anyway, they cited, like, fraud and abuse and things like that as some of the reasons why they got rid of the free tier. And, you know, I've heard some people sound a little skeptical about that.
1: About the I don't know. abuse?
0: Yeah, uh, as oh. to how much that played into it versus... Hey, we're not getting paid to run all this infrastructure. Um, I mean,
1: I guarantee that it was probably a big part of their decision, the fraud part, or rather the abuse. Simply yeah. because the in recent times you might have seen a lot of CI/CD platforms stop offering free tiers for running your CI/CD except for maybe verified open source projects. It is because of the abuse people would spin up bitcoin miners as a CICD runner and essentially just flood a lot of these companies with a Bitcoin miner. You know, oh, just doing very tiny uh mining with them, but it still adds up if you have a script that launches hundreds of them. And I'm sure Heroku was receiving similar abuse. And detecting that kind of thing, you can do, but I imagine it'd be hard.
0: Compared to just dropping the free tier, period. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I I do know that I heard some people sounding a little skeptical that that was the real reason for it. But it makes sense, right? I mean, what you're saying, I I could totally see people doing. But, you know, one way or the other, at the end of the day, it's not an option anymore, so...
1: Yeah, and I think we should also mention another option, Doku. Doku has kind of been like that long-time Docker-ish kind of alternative for running a Heroku-like system. So uh-huh. you basically just set up a machine just like your development machine or whatever and you run Doku on it. And then you can deploy with similar to what like Heroku has uh, just a command line to do your deployment and then it'll push it up to that service and your site is live. Doku does have some inherent issues around being only a single node So if you are wanting to venture into a production deployment aspect, you would definitely want to have that failover of multiple nodes. Uh, So I think Doku is kind of weak in that area. But if you're just talking about super cheap, very easy to run applications, and they don't need that redundancy, then that could be an option as
0: well. Hey, folks, I'm here with JD from Raygun. JD, I mean, it seems like a lot of things these days are kind of pushing us more toward productivity, right? We install VS Code extensions. We do CI CD. We kind of get this stuff off our plate, automate as much as we can, and move quickly. And one of the tools that I tell people to get is something like Raygun. Uh, do you want to just explain real quick how Raygun can help with the productivity?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's several-fold. I like to think of Raygun as... Um, almost being like a full-time engineer on your team that's keeping an eye on things and is able to report the important faults or performance bottlenecks so that you aren't guessing. Um, and so that's one element. But then to that point where we store as all of the data we possibly can uh, on the context of the error or performance issue so that you know, we integrate with source control systems, you can jump into our APM and get method-level timing details with the source code right beside it. So if you're looking at it going, why is this page so slow? you know, um, you can usually just eyeball the code right there and then. So speeding everything up, which I think is really important with, you know, our industry is under so much pressure right now. Yeah. You know, um, you know we've got to try and get people be more efficient because we, we're not going to have a whole lot more people suddenly.
0: Right, absolutely. And I, I just, I love that idea. I've done plenty of optimizations to myself, right? And having an APM tool that will actually say, yeah, uh, this is the slow code, right? So instead of me trying to guess, or look at it and go, oh, do I have an n plus one query here? Yeah, it just tells me where the problem is, and that's really powerful in something like Raygun. Or
2: yeah, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Iron Man, and you know the 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 idea is that I would love a virtual Jarvis that's just going, hey, there's this thing. Do you want me to go fix this? Do you want me to solve yeah. that? It's like that's that's what we need to get to.
0: Yep, absolutely. Well, if you want uh, the next best thing, go to raygun.com. and uh, it's not Jarvis, but it. It will tell you where the problem is, so you can go fix it. You can get a free trial right now if you want. It's raygon.com. Yeah, and there are a few other systems out there that do some of the same stuff like uh, OpenShift. It, that's a little more robust, I think, but still, you know, where it's an open source infrastructure, deploy this to your machines kind of runtime thing. The other thing that I want to just kind of grab real quick is that you can set your machine up because one of the things that people really liked about Heroku was the uh, Git push deployment. You can set up your machines to do Git push deployment too, right? You just you, you do the deploy key, blah, 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 right? And then you just push it in. When it gets pushed up, you just have a hook, a Git hook on the other end that will run your build. Yeah, there's a lot of free GitHub actions out there that'll do things, you know? Yeah. So you can, you know, chain some of those together. Yeah, you could do it through GitHub Actions too. I didn't even think of that. I've just seen people set it up where they they do a git push to git at com. You know, it pushes it in, builds it, and if it builds it out, without an error, then it will, you know, rsync or copy the files over and then redeploy or restart the web server.
1: I was just going to say, I have several applications that I manage, whether it's Drifting Ruby or some of the homebrew applications that I've made or if it's something else. And one thing is kind of consistent across these is that they're all different. So remembering where I have each one located and (laughs) stored like where it's hosted can be a challenge sometimes, especially if you don't touch it very often. So one thing that I do with all of my applications is within the Rails application, folder structure in the bin folder I have a deploy script and that deploy script will take in a couple of different arguments development, staging, production, whatever and then it'll deploy to the correct environment. It will assume each one of these scripts that I have the appropriate either SSH key or environment variable or whatever on that machine to do the deployment. So that way if I ever bring someone else on onto one of these projects, I'm not instantly giving them full production access because they won't have those necessary keys to deploy to those areas. But what they would be able to do is get the deployment key to deploy to a staging environment or something like that. So that way, I don't have to remember where things are hosted or how I have them hosted because my bin deploy function will take care of all that for me. And if I say that I don't even want the ability to deploy my local machine, I want that done in the CICD. Well, then in my CICD, I'll have all the build steps or running my tests. And if everything passes, then I'll have a production step that simply just runs that been deployed to the appropriate environment.
0: I do something rather similar. And I think a lot of companies probably do something similar without kind of realizing it um so it, it, maybe not i mean most places have like some sort of deploy script at least most of the places that i've worked at um, and it's really common for people to use capistrano even if you aren't um you, you know uploading your stuff you know directly or whatever and not running in docker so one thing that i've taken to doing is just hooking into the capistrano tasks uh, and basically turning deploy into my script or whatever. That way I stick with the bundle exec cap, you know, my, my environment deploy. And then right. I'm just, it just runs my script instead. Um, I did that with ShipLane too. I use, I uh, ShipLane just hooks into that. And, uh, I like that. Um, but it's really, I mean, honestly, it's just, it, it's basically just an abstraction on top of what Dave is talking about. Uh, and I'm not putting it in the bin folder. I'm putting it in the lib tasks folder instead. So it's not that different. I think I think a lot of places do something like that. Or rake task. I've been in places that just did rake tasks. That was also a thing, which is fine. There was one other thing that I was thinking of in this. So when you get to this place too, there's also like a couple things that you have to think about, which is like, uh, and, and I. Dave, you've probably run into this since I, I know that you have kind of like switched from like, like I, I know that you've switched to doing like a lot of Docker deployments so that you've probably run into this pain. And I think that you have to, Chuck, even though I don't know that we've talked about it, but that's sort of like um, when you deploy something that's not in Docker containers, right? So when I just push something up to a server, there's sort of like a unique moment or a, you know, explicit moment in time kind of thing going on so that's a great time for you to like run migrations and everything and I feel mm-hmm. like you know a lot of people just hook into that but when you kind of switch over to like darker containers and things like this where stuff is like always on you suddenly have a new problem that you probably didn't run into before which is it might not be a good time to run migrations because you know or at least your migrations have to change. Because now you can't just assume that the app is going to be down while your migrations are running, and I feel like that's kind of uh, a thing that, like, when you run on Heroku and some of these services, you're just automatically getting it right because they kind of like stop your app or you know do other things so that you know this discrete moment in time happens. You run your migrations and that's great, but if you don't run on one of these platforms that works like that, you're going to have to like think about stuff like that about whether your migration is going to break a running app or not?
1: Well, I think the ultimate goal is for someone to do this professionally and to do this for applications that have clients, whether they're internal or external clients. So knowing what kind of migration command is going to lock a table or what kind of migration is going to break changes, so if you rename a column or something like that, will the existing application that's already running, assuming that you're doing a zero downtime deploy, is it going to start to break until the new services spin up? So I think, you know, we need to approach that with a kind of standard practices kind of thing where we don't make or introduce any kind of database breaking changes. Along with that feature, but we roll it out in two different releases kind of deal.
0: Yeah. And that's true. I might be pushing into like some of the more advanced topics, not unintentionally here too.
1: Yeah. But it's still a great thing for someone to research on, uh, just because I've been in that situation before where I'm like, Oh, we're going to do some database optimizations. So I just had a huge file that was running and adding indexes without realizing that I was locking some of the tables that were getting hit often and essentially taking down the application. So, you know, people should definitely, you know, on the site, go out and research some of those things.
0: Yep, absolutely. And it's, I, I think you are getting a little advanced maybe, but at the same time, um, I don't know that you're necessarily wrong in, you know, talk, talking about the the particular ins and outs. Because, yeah, you're going to run into it eventually. It's just on your real simple stuff, you, you know, that's not being heavily used or anything. This is probably not something you're going to run into. But one thing that I have found is that if I build like some little thing that does some little thing at work and we start using it, all of a sudden that sucker starts to grow and then some of these issues can become issues. And so if we're if we have a methodology for managing some of those, areas to make it more robust i think i think that does a lot for um you know what we're putting together so yeah i, I don't know i kind of come down in the area if it, uh, if you're new and this is a toy app don't worry about it and then if it this is a production app then yeah this is something you're probably going to want to think about I think that's a good point too, right? So yes, every single time that you basically say, Hmm, I'm going to make this tool to make my life easier, right? Or my team's life easier. It almost always becomes like a core integral part of of your team very fast. And yeah, it is likely to grow. Everyone's going to want to know how to use it because it made your life easier, right? Um, Or they're really going to hate it and push for their own solution if you have, you know, a team that isn't all that unified or whatever but generally it's the other one right it just grows and everything and and for that like I, I mean i guess that's the difference between like hey i'm a junior and i you know i'm just putting this app out here for my resume or you know this is a toy app that i'm making on the side you know and somebody that's trying to decide on the right tool for their team like i feel like you should take a decision like the right tool for your team a little bit more Know with a little bit more uh, gravitas, I guess, right? Uh, Just take Uh it more seriously because it's going to grow on you. And maybe you you should pick it more carefully than just, you know, hey, I don't know this stuff. So I'm just going to pick a service, right? Like that's a great way to end up with you married to a service that you don't understand and that may or may not fit your needs later. Um, You have to be cautious about it at least if you're going to pick something
1: like that. Speaking of cautious. I was looking at Render, and their pricing is free. It is possible to host your site for free. But the Postgres SQL is free for 90 days. Afterwards, then I guess you have to pay something. So just a heads up on that. I wanted to make sure we mentioned that.
0: Is MySQL free, or is it any database?
1: I think they only offer Postgres. 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 So a little hack around for that remember that Docker containers are not persistent. So unless if you actually have a volume store that is storing the data, then it's not going to remain if you restart that container. But if this is just a hobby project, you might be able to get away with running SQLite on there. And
2: mm-hmm. if the
1: application reboots just in your entry point or whatever script that you run to provision and set up some stuff, Or to see the database, just have that migrate and see the database and just run SQLite. You know, that could be a free alternative, but you definitely don't want to do that for anything important, only for hobby and resume style projects.
0: Yeah, that Postgres is going to run you seven bucks a month. Holy crap.
1: Yeah, which isn't that bad. I mean, that's reasonable, but if you're looking for like dirt cheap, you can get a digital ocean droplet for that amount and then run your yep. own services and mm-hmm. stuff and have a lot more flexibility.
0: There always has been a problem when trying to decide between that free tier and the cheap tier, right? There's always been like a little bit of overlap and some things make sense and some things don't. So I'm a big
1: cell poster, home labber, computers at home. So if you have an old computer, that's the cheapest and easiest way to spend a few evenings to tinker with it and to try things out. Even if you have a Raspberry Pi, but those are actually kind of hard to come by now.
0: Well, and you'll learn something too, right? Yeah. And what that's one thing that I found too is that as I've talked to people, depending on how they come into programming, they have various or widely varied experience with you know, the command line, Linux, uh, setups, all this stuff, right? Uh, web servers. And so, yeah, you know, even if even if it's hard and it's frustrating, you're going to pick up some stuff that you'll be able to use going forward. And I, I do think that it's probably kind of a, it's just a de facto good recommendation for the, I'm already a programmer, I'm just doing a side app, right? And I have a boss yeah. at home, like, Okay, great. You have your solution right there, right? That's no, okay. Uh, I think we have a delay, but I, I think for the person that has familiarity with VPSs or, you know, VMs and stuff, like you can just have them be go get their digital ocean box and do the same thing. One last thing that I'm just going to throw out there is if you have, if you have something that you want to show off, right? Cause deploying it at home and seeing how it works and all that stuff is, is a great way to go if you this is something you want like a potential employer or somebody else to look at like figuring out docker and figuring out how to tell somebody to you know docker compose up or you know something like that where all they have to do is grab the they they can clone it to their machine and then run the docker command to build the container those are also useful skills and i don't think it's too big an ask to ask somebody hey if you want to see it run you know, just do a Docker Compose up and, you know, set up your Docker file and stuff and your Docker Compose YAML such that, you know, it migrates and seeds the database and gives them something to work from from there.
1: Yeah, and to add on to that, if you are going to do that, I actually really like that idea, but have some kind of GitHub pages, some static site yeah. where they go to to access those... Uh, sample applications, and have some screenshots. Because I don't want to pull down some unknown project from this unknown person to run it on my local machine only to find out that, okay, this is not a good fit. Have some nice screenshots of that application that's going to show it off. And from there, you're know you hosting it on GitHub Pages for free, so you don't have to worry about that. And then they're just pulling down the project to run it like Chuck's saying. But don't just have some ambiguous, you know, shopping experience project and then no pictures, no nothing, no explanation, just a command to run. That's not going to attract any employer, or at least not me if I was reviewing it.
0: Yeah, I think in general, Docker skills are not mandatory yet, but they're very, very good. I, uh, and I mean, that's not to say that. Docker is necessarily going to always be the winner. We could come up with something, but containers for sure are sticking around. So, and I, and I don't think you're wasting your time learning Docker because in all likelihood, if we get a replacement, it'll probably be mostly compatible with you know what we are familiar with with Docker at this point, just because of how ubiquitous Docker is. Yep, I agree.
1: You know, before Docker, they had LXC, which is the Linux containers. And I'm actually still using Linux containers on some of my self-hosted services with Proxmox because uh, nice. you can run a KPM or LXC. And so I think way back when, Docker originally started off as a similar thing to LXC or was based off of it. And it's then they kind of yeah. built their own thing. But LXCs are so cool. It's basically a container but you have a lot more control over it, and it's persisted. It's not like dumped and restarted like a Docker container.
0: There, there's value to both, right? Like, um, and the, the there's valuable. There's value to being able to throw something away and start over very quickly. But yeah, I mean, being able to persist is also important too. Either way, get those skills. The Docker yep. skills will be helpful to you,
1: yeah. and you should always make sure that things are still working. So I've got my personal setup as I'm developing. I'm not scared to do a Docker system prune or to wipe that VM because I'm on Mac OS. I have to have a VM running for Docker. Uh, Just in the background, it does it all by itself. But I'm not scared to wipe away my entire setup of Docker and then rerun the Docker Compose up and have it rebuilt. That should not be a scary thing. If it is, then you, your team or whomever needs to build that confidence that our Docker Compose file, our Docker file are good and we can kill that environment and reprovision it at any given point in time.
0: Yes, I have worked on multiple teams, getting them from a, hey, we have this thing and you have to you know, do the onboarding steps, but then you're going to have to pair with somebody you know, for a little while to get things up and running and, oh, you've got to create these things in your app, right? And then everyone's, like, terrified to, like, get rid of their app. And I've worked to, like, move teams to a place where they, you know, can destroy their container. And, um, yeah, it's, you should do it. It's a lot of work. I, I don't want to say that in, like, a scary way. It's work and people are scared of it for good reason, but you should do it. It's totally worth it to be able to blow away your environment and recreate it.
1: Yeah, I've seen situations where it was so bad that the tech lead would just provide a virtual machine. They would just throw it up on a file host, provide it to you, saying, here's your development environment virtual machine. Mm-hmm. Don't touch it, just use it. So, yep. and that instills zero confidence in the development environment, especially if something goes wrong, because then who are you bugging? Like, unless if you know how to get in there and diagnose and fix the problem, it's just a nightmare. I know this is way off topic of deployment, but you know, having confidence in your own development environment is also very important.
0: It, it's very much... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm totally yeah. agreeing with you, right? Like it's, if you are at the point where you're creating that VM, uh, you are also very much at risk that your development environment has special things that your production environment does not have. And you have no way of knowing like if you're so scared that you can't destroy your environment and recreate it, you don't, you can't know. All right, well, we're kind of getting to the point where I've got to start looking at taking off because I've got a a meeting coming up and I've got to drive over to the high school. Anything else you all want to add to this before we wrap it up? I would say uh, check out we'll up the this
1: upcoming episode of Drifter Ruby because I am going to be covering more on the Docker infrastructure and Portainer side of things. It's going to be a free episode, so it should be an interesting one.
0: Cool. Nice. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out. And and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. I'm going to go ahead and move us on to picks then. Dave, do you have some picks for us? I
1: do. So the first pick is I'm not a music person at all. I do not have an ear for it, but I needed a DAW, which is a digital audio workstation, because I did get some mm-hmm. new audio setup here. And the problem was the only DAW that I found was Logic Pro to route my audio, so I could do the microphone selection on meetings and you know these kind of calls mm-hmm. and stuff. So I found a a different program that was half the price of Logic Pro, so I ended up returning it. It's called Loopback. And it is awesome. It does exactly what I need as far as creating a virtual channel and then routing my audio where I want it to. It does not work on Ventura yet. So I actually had to format my computer, reinstall everything back to uh, Monterey. But now that I have, I'm on Monterey, I love it. It actually fixed some of the audio issues I was having. So that's the first pick. And the second pick is, uh, grids. So I have, uh, actually four key lights in my office that I use for different angles of lighting uh-huh. and stuff when I'm on camera. And the problem is that I was getting a lot of spill onto other areas of the room where I did not want either because I had some RGB lights or whatever, but the grid. I just got some cardboard and some gaffer tape, which is a black non-reflective tape for photography and stuff. And I got some cardboard and I just cut a land grid or just a grid and taped that up to each one of the lights so it's more directional. And it's made a night and day difference. I absolutely love it.
0: Cool. Yeah, I've got a bunch of lights in here. Um, what's funny is is that uh, we're not posting or we haven't been posting the video, but there's a green screen behind me actually. And I've been, you know, setting some of that up. And during the day, if I just have my uh, room light on, that's enough because I'm facing the window. But yeah, at night I have some of those issues, right? Where it puts stuff in shadow that I don't want in shadow or it'll light stuff up that I, you know, I don't really want lit up. And so, um, it's been kind of interesting to kind of play with the lighting and and kind of figure that stuff out. So yeah. I'll have to take your tip.
1: <laughs> yeah, it took about three hours to make each one, but it was well worth it. I just went to Walmart yeah. and got their black uh, poster board mm-hmm. and then some gaffer tape. And then I just cut up two-inch strips of thicker cardboard to use as the outside frame. And that just kind of made a little waffle pattern on them, you know, cutting halfway through Mm -hmm. and then sliding them in to, like, kind of push them in to make the grid and it's been amazing.
0: Nice. Yeah, good to know. Um, I have a ton of gaffer tape uh, from when I built my podcast booth. I have a portable podcasting booth that I built. Um, And so, yeah, um, the gaffer tape was what I used to kind of clean up some of the edges and stuff because the felt didn't cut cleanly everywhere. Anyway, uh very cool john do you have some picks for us i do so uh last week i um got my standing desk i have wanted a standing desk for about 10 years and uh they were it, it and i also have like a lot of stuff that i want on my desk so i couldn't just go get like a cheapo one because they wouldn't be able to mm-hmm. you know hold enough and i have like a problem with like stuff that i feel like is not durable like i just like it's got to be durable i only want to buy it once you know and it needs to last right. me 10 to 20 years and so i just i'm that way and uh standing just for a long time were very expensive and now they've definitely come down it cost me about 1200 bucks to get mine so i'm very excited happy with it so far but i can't go recommending a desk that i've only had for a week but um something that I know for sure I can't get buyer's remorse about uh, as I was like organizing all my cables and everything. Um, the thing that I wanted to recommend here are these grommets that I bought to basically like give me extra USB power su- spots and uh, give me uh, one of them is like a power cord thing so I can plug my, laptop into that instead of having my cord like hang down over my desk and then when I move my laptop my cord falls down below my desk and then I have to pick it up the next time I bring my laptop over which is annoying to me so right. having it stay on the top of my desk is great uh so I you know I just I'll, I'll post like an example one of the grommets I bought or whatever but yeah so like desk grommets are totally awesome so that's that's one thing and then the other yeah and then just in general I mean standing desks are awesome so I don't know. TSA. It's awesome. That's what I got this week. I want the second the nice.
1: desk grommets. I love them. I got a USB one with USB C 3.0. It's a, it's amazing.
0: I'm trying to envision what they are.
1: It's just a circular. You get a hole, uh, hole drilled through the oh, yeah. desk. Yeah. They're really amazing and it just fits in there. It's a USB hub or, you know, in this case, power as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, no, I have well, a USB one. I'll link the USB one too if I can find it in my history.
1: Oh, that's cool. Oh, I see. Yeah, charging too. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I have desk grommets
0: that came in my desk, but you're saying you can get them that. Yeah, I had some that came in my desk too, but I added some. I added these specifically or whatever. So, and there's there's this one which is a USB hub. Nice. I mean, there's some. This one specifically. Look, I mean, it's. It's a grommet, definitely. So far, I haven't found any that, like you know, have changed my life. But it is very helpful, and like, it's so. Mm, how should I put it? It it's not that expensive, and it gives you like it takes care of like small stuff. Like I'm not looking at this USB hub to like run my mouse, you know, in it or something like that, right? Right. But it is great for like peripherals that need power or peripherals that I want to be connected that I don't care, you know, if they have like USB delay, you know, kind of things going on.
1: Um, Well, put it like
0: this.
1: I 3D printed a case for my Mac Studio. So it's up underneath the desk, off in the corner. So to plug in a USB device is a huge pain. So I got one of those USB hub grommets and it's been life-changing.
0: No, that makes total sense because what you're talking about I mean, I have a power strip sitting on the top of my desk, and yeah, that would just eliminate a whole bunch of stuff. The thing that I've uh, done too, and I'll I'll throw this in as a pick. So um, on Amazon, I bought, um, and it was like twelve bucks for a hundred of them. Um, But it's these uh, Velcro uh, cable ties, and they've got. I might have these. So, they, they have a little like, uh, hole in them. And so you just pull one end through the other and you just wrap it around your cords. And then, yeah, then you can just wrap it around all the way around the cords, uh, like that to get, yeah, you just, it just wraps all the way around the cords then and you can, uh, you can manage yes, your stuff. Yeah. yeah. I have those. So, I have those too. Yeah. I've got they, they, the ones I got, they just come in a big, um, basically a roll of them and so you just peel them off one at a time very nice and i actually uh, have the same ones that you have from a previous purchase and i'm i just kind of ran out and so i bought these new ones but yeah yeah but it, it keeps all the cords where i want them and stuff like that so that's been really nice um i have been setting up like i said a green screen and stuff so that i can do kind of uh you know talk in front of my camera Um, and I have a DSLR Canon camera or Nikon. It's Canon, I think, but yeah. So I, yeah, anyway, I can just stand up and record stuff and do the green screen and then I can have fun and put like Battlestar Galactica or Star Wars or something behind me. Anyway, it's, it's, it's awesome. And I'm looking forward to putting a whole lot more of that stuff out, you know, especially since I'm, I'm starting to ramp up the coaching, you know, and basically do a weekly group call with people who want to take their career to the next level. And, uh, that's at top devs.com slash coaching. By the way, I've changed it from the one hour coaching call, uh, to a half hour, basically, um, onboarding call just to make sure that I can help you out. So we'll, we'll talk, I will give you pointers, you know, it's, it's not a pressure sale or anything, but if you're looking for something like that, you know, then we'll, we'll talk about, you know, what it, what it'll take for you to come and be on every week while we talk through whatever those that that, that is. But yeah, um, I want to be putting content out that just demonstrates to people, hey, look, here's, you know, here's something you can do today, right? Here's something you can do on a regular basis. Or, you know, if I'm recording a course or something for top-end devs, um, I can have the the video, I can move the, you know, in-screen video of me around and have something interesting behind me. Um, but yeah, that that's been terrific. I have, Some lights, they're the newer with uh, three E's. It's N-E-E-W-E-R lights. And those are pretty nice. Uh, The ones that I got, they have kind of these shades that go on them. Um, The only complaint I have with the shades is that they don't fit through the the U uh, frame that they sit in. And so if I have to tilt it at all, then it pushes that flap up and it's kind of counter productive. But you
1: should do the T V background, man.
0: So cool. The T V background. <laughs> I I I saw <laughs> you do that and I was seriously tempted to just go. But I looked at the price of one of those giant TVs and yeah, that's not that's not in the budget right now. So Yeah.
1: Micro Center yeah. man, they have good deals.
0: Yeah. Anyway, so so yeah, so that's that's something that I'm playing with. But yeah. Um I usually pick a board game. Um, but I didn't really prepare for that this week and I can't think of one off the top of my head that I want to put out there. So, um, I'm going to skip that, but we do have rails remote Comp coming up. So check that out. And then, um, I picked up this show a while back that I've been watching. Um, it's been on TV for like 20 something seasons. It's NCIS. Um, my father-in-law got me watching it and, um, I guess there's basically no end of uh, episodes that I can watch. So I'm not even through the first season yet, um, but I've been enjoying it. Um, so I'm going to pick that. Nice. Well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap us up. Thanks for coming, guys. Yeah. Till next time, folks. Max out. Take care. Talk to you later. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.